Don't you just love singing those Christmas carols, those songs of praise? What a joyous time of year it is, and we get to celebrate every Sunday together as the body of Christ. And um, this year, um, I'm really wanting to make a concerted effort to worship. Um, it's so easy to get caught up, right, in the hustle and the bustle uh, of the season that we lose sight of Jesus in the process. And so really, it's a daily uh, type of observance, you know, where we just don't let the day get away from us without worshiping the Lord. And uh, this morning is no exception. Uh, I feel uh, privileged to be able to speak on the topic that I'll be speaking on this morning as I have been mulling it over in my mind and in my heart and, it, and it's truly an amazing doctrine that we're going to be looking at this morning. And uh, if you were here last week, uh, Eric kicked off our Advent uh, series, sermon series, by demonstrating from Scripture that the human condition is bent on sin and rebellion. And, and really, nothing has changed over the centuries. Despite huge advances in education and technology, uh, the heart of man has remained the same. And humankind is still selfish to the core and stained by sin. And there is nothing that we can do to change that. No amount of self-effort can remove the stain of sin and produce holiness. And we learned that last week as we looked at various passages of Scripture in Isaiah and in the book of Romans. But we also learned that God promised to do for us something that we could never do on our own. Namely, to cleanse us of our sin and to produce holiness within us, to be made pure, to be made holy. If you remember Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, we read, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, yet they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. What an amazing promise. And God could make this amazing promise to us because he had a plan to redeem humanity from sin and death. God, God had it all figured out already. He knew what was going to happen. He devised the plan and he could utter these words. And this morning, we're going to begin looking at that plan by first looking at the person of Jesus Christ. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for our time here this morning. I thank you, Lord, for your word to us and for this joyous season. Lord, I pray that you would just capture our hearts here this morning, that we would just be overwhelmed um, by the truth of your word, the truth of who you are and what you have done for us. Um, Lord, ruin us for anything less than your glory, than your praise. Lord, use us so that others might come to know you as we know you. And it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Once upon a time, there was a king, a very rich king who was longing for a wife. He wanted to spend the rest of his life with 
with a, with a woman that he could love and cherish and share his kingdom with. He was a very rich king. And one day, the king saw a peasant girl, and he was captivated by her and thought to himself, I'd like to have her for my wife. So he began to think about how might he win this young peasant's uh, love. And he thought to himself for a moment, well, I could issue a, a, a royal decree. I could basically uh, demand that, that she marry me and become my wife and become the queen. But then he thought, well, but I would never know if she truly loved me or whether or not she was just obeying the, 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 the decree because she'd have no option otherwise. So he thought, well, maybe, maybe what I'll do is I'll try to impress her with my riches, with my position, with my title. You know, get dressed up, go down there, and just show her how wonderful I really am. And again, the same problem existed. He would never know if she truly loved him or was merely interested in his wealth or in his power and position. So finally, he came up with the perfect plan. He decided he would come to her as a peasant, that he would basically remove his royal garb. He would lay aside all of that, and he would dress as a peasant and live among the people. And that's exactly what he did. He went, he lived among the peasants, he talked with them, he worked with them, he even danced at their feasts until he finally won the heart of the woman that had so captivated him. That story is a lot like the Christmas story. Only in the Christmas story, God is the king, and we are the bride. And God does not merely dress up as one of us. He became one of us. He became a man. God became a man. And this event in human history is known as the incarnation. It's one of the greatest mysteries of the Christian faith. And as I've been thinking about this and mulling this over, I, I'm just overwhelmed by the fact that the incarnation itself proves how much God loves us. And it is what makes redemption possible. If there was no incarnation, there would be no redemption. There would be no salvation. And so I think it behooves us to, to plumb the depths more, more deeply anyway of this glorious doctrine here. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Matthew chapter 1. If not, I'll have it up on the screen, the English Standard Version. I'll be reading starting in verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, 
and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, the doctrine of the incarnation sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. And it does so in two specific ways. First, every other religion has man working his way to God. It has man trying to appease an angry God or to merit his love and forgiveness. But in Christianity, God comes to us. It's a huge difference. He comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. The other way this doctrine sets apart Christianity is in how God came to us. God could have come in a lot of different ways. In fact, Hebrews tells us that in in days of old, he spoke to us through the prophets. He can appear to us at any moment in time. But he comes to us through the incarnation. Now, the incarnation, the word literally means to take on flesh or in the flesh. God took on human flesh and became a man. Now, this statement needs clarification because if we misunderstand what the incarnation really teaches, then we're going to misunderstand a lot of other doctrines. We're going to misunderstand the doctrine of Christ. We'll misunderstand the doctrine of salvation, of redemption, and many other things. So when we say that God took on human flesh and became a man, we are not merely saying that God inhabited a human body, kind of like divine possession. That's not what we're talking about. Nor are we saying that God ceased to be God when he became a man. So when we talk about God became man, he didn't lay aside his deity and become merely a man. So what do we mean then when, when we talk about the incarnation? Well, what we mean is, is that, that God, and more specifically the pre-incarnate Christ, took on a human nature alongside his divine nature. And though these two natures were inseparable, they never intermingled. And this is what makes Jesus so unique. It was a mysterious joining together of both the human and the divine natures in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is both God and man. He's not a hybrid of sorts. He is both fully God and fully man. This is what makes him so glorious, so wonderful, so marvelous, so beautiful. He is unparalleled in glory, in splendor, in wisdom, and in might. The fact that God would come to be with us in the person of Jesus Christ should cause us to explode in worship. 
when you think about this, up to, up to this point, the greatest of all miracles, that God becomes a man. And Matthew quotes the prophet Isaiah, who wrote hundreds of years before Christ was born. Back in Isaiah 7, verse 14, he says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And with the birth of Christ, the Old Testament prophecy was fulfilled. God entered our world as one of us. The Apostle John speaks of this in a different way in his gospel. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But then in verse 14, he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And, and what we learn, especially as you read through the Gospels, is that Jesus wasn't a disinterested observer. He didn't come into this world merely to sit back and just watch things. He dwelt among us. He lived among us. I like what John Piper has to say about this. He says, the, the word for dwelt is the word for to set up a tent. In, he says, and I think pitching a tent with us implies that God wants to be on familiar terms with us. He wants to be close to us. He wants lots of interaction now, if you come into a community, he says, and you build a huge palace with a wall around it, it says one thing about your desire to be with the people. But if you pitch a tent in my backyard, you will probably end up using my bathroom and eat often at my table. This is why God became human. He came to pitch a tent in our human backyard so that we would have lots of dealings with him. Jesus pitched his tent with us. The word became flesh and lived among us. And he came into this world the same way you and I came into this world. He was born into it. He, he, he went through the entire process. And he was born into our world. He had a childhood. He was a teenager. And eventually he became a man. He felt what we feel. He experienced hunger and thirst. He ate the food that we ate. He got tired and even angry at times. He wept when his friend Lazarus died. He experienced loneliness and heartache and suffering. And then he bled and he died on a cross. All of that to say that Jesus was human. He was truly human. And he knows what it's like to live in a world full of hate and violence. He knows what it's like to feel used and abused. He knows what it's like to be tempted, yet without sin. The writer of Hebrews tells us for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. See, Jesus can... Jesus can empathize with our weaknesses. He understands our struggles and our temptations. And and we can approach the throne of God, the throne of grace, to receive mercy and grace in the time of need, not because of self-effort, but because of what he has done for us, because of who he is and what he has done for us. Because Jesus is our great high priest, we can draw near to him, for he paid the penalty for our sin by dying on the cross once and for all. The apostle Peter says it this way. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That's an incredible thought that a man could die on a cross 2,000 years ago and by the wounds that he suffered, we today are healed. James Montgomery Boy said that the atonement is the real reason for the incarnation. And he's right. The whole reason why we celebrate Christmas is because God had a plan for a Good Friday and an Easter Sunday. The Son of God left heaven. He came to earth to be born of a woman in order to save us from our sin and to bring us into an eternal relationship with him. The incarnation, beyond any shadow of a doubt, proves God's love for us, and it is what makes redemption possible. You say, well, I'm not sure I follow that last part. Well, as, as a man... Jesus represented all of humanity. He was the best of us. In fact, Scripture says he never sinned. He lived a sinless life. He was the perfect man. And as a perfect man, he could be the perfect sacrifice. Because he was a man, he could suffer and die for our sins. But because he was fully God... His sacrifice would have infinite value. His precious blood was more than sufficient to cleanse us of our sins and all unrighteousness. C.S. Lewis, speaking of this, says this. He says, suppose our human nature, which can suffer and die, was amalgamated with God's nature in one person, then that person could help us. He could surrender his will and suffer and die because he was a man, and he could do it perfectly because he was God. But we cannot share in God's dying unless God dies, and he cannot die except by being a man. 
That is the sense in which he pays our debt and suffers for us what he himself need not suffer at all. The writer of Hebrews tells us, but now, now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And that was written 2,000 years ago. And here's the best part. Because he's God, he had the power to take up his life again. He didn't stay in the tomb. He had the authority and the power to take back his life and thereby deliver us from the power of sin and death. So as I wind down our morning's message, I hope that we'll all leave this place marveling at the incarnation and what it means for us you know, when you turn on the news today, um, you can wonder, where is God, <laughs> right? We, we live in a sin-sick world where hatred abounds, where man's inhumanity to man is on full display. It's easy to wonder, God, where are you in all of this? And when God's people are persecuted, imprisoned, tortured, and even put to death, we may wonder, God, do you see? Do you know what's going on? Do you, do you even care? I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning that those questions were answered 2,000 years ago with a resounding yes through the incarnation. The second person of the Trinity took on flesh and he pitched his tent with us. He knows who you are. He knows what you're going through, what you've gone through. He knows the temptations you face. And you can turn to him this morning to find mercy and grace in the time of need. Advent is a perfect time for us to ponder again the miracle of the incarnation and the importance and the significance of God taking on human flesh and dwelling among us. So if you're here this morning, if you're watching online, if, if you've not yet repented of your sins and received the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, um, then this is your time. What greater gift can you give God than your very life? If guilt and shame feel to you like heavy robes of scarlet or crimson, remember the promise that God gave us back in Isaiah. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you're here this morning and you've been neglecting your walk with Christ, then this is your time to remember, to repent, and to recommit yourself to the Lord. Jesus is our Emmanuel, God with us. The incarnation is proof of his great love for us, and it is what makes redemption possible. And if you're here watching online and you know you have been born again, you are a child of God, then I charge you to emulate the incarnation 
by going to those who need to hear the gospel. Now, we can't force people to believe in Jesus, and we, we, we shouldn't try to woo them by promising them a bed of roses. But we can pitch a tent in their backyard. Not literally. I mean, you'd have to ask permission for that, but, but you know what I mean. We can be with them. We can love them. We can serve them just as Jesus did. So this Christmas, take time to worship the Lord. Marvel at his incarnation and allow it to be the impetus for sharing your life and the gospel with others. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for our time together this morning and for um, your word to us. And Lord, this truth of you coming to us, to be with us, fully God and fully man, Lord, we will never comprehend but Lord, we know it's what made our redemption possible. And we know that in so doing, Lord, you demonstrated your great love for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us respond how we need to respond this morning to you. May there not be a single person shut out of your heaven who has been here today or listening online to this message. Lord, I pray that we would all one day enter into your kingdom and forever enjoy being in your presence. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.